Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much. We're so pleased you were with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we're going to be joined in just a couple of moments by a woman who has had an unbelievably challenging experience that led her into caregiving. Esther Pippoli Cardenas will be joining us, and we'll be talking about LOLA, Loss of Life Advocates, an organization she created, and why. That's coming up next on Caregiver SOS On Air. Carol Zerniel, by the way, nationally known gerontologist, Executive Director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And just somebody on the other microphone. And there you are. Well, actually, it's your experience that uh, plays so well on this show because you've been there. Well, you know, we're so fortunate to be able week after week to talk to people who have, you know, lived this experience of caregiving, learned from it, and in their own way, giving back. Uh, and I think today's guest, uh, this issue of what happens when someone passes away is so important, and we don't talk about it enough. We, we tiptoe around it. And so that's one of the real benefits of being here. Now, I don't want you to take this wrong, but I've been observing how you breathe. And I'm concerned you are not breathing right. Well, that would be both of us that are concerned that I'm some. Sometimes I just forget to breathe, which is what caregivers do and stressed out people do. Uh, but there was a, you know, a look at people that do yoga and that do meditation. And so the question is, is it the mantra or is it the breathing that reduces the stress? And I'm sure you would not always get the same answer depending on who you ask. But in this particular case, um, the study said that uh, this is done in Ireland, the Institute of Neuroscience at Trinity College, Dublin, which we've heard of. Very impressive. Yes. Um, that it's actually, it's the breathing that is doing the trick. The mantra keeps your mind calm, right? That's what gets rid of all of that interference that's trying to crowd in and keep you from meditating. Uh, so the mantra is important, but it's the breathing. And if you haven't done meditation, if you haven't tried it, you know, the it's the ratio of how long you inhale versus how long you exhale. And that needs to be at a one to two ratio. So if you inhale through the nose, through the nose, then the exhale needs to be twice as long as the inhale. And, and then you need to, you know, fill all the way up a nice long inhale and a really super long, super slow exhale. Get all the breath out. Get all the breath out. And, and the carbon dioxide. Absolutely. And if you will do that, you know, as long as you can and you repeat that several times a day for, say, 15 to 30 seconds, you'll notice that your heart rate goes down. You know, I do this right before I'm one of those people who right before you get your blood pressure checked, it, I get panic and my blood pressure goes really White high. And my, yes. And my heart rate gets really high. Um, and so I have to remember, I, you know, I try to get there early enough. So actually I can do exactly this breathing exercise to try to calm down before they take my blood pressure. So when it's 190 over 90, you say, oh, just because I'm nervous. Well, and then they'll take it. I'll be like, do it again. You know, come back, talk to me a few minutes, and then do it again. And it, it 
just drops right. invariably because I don't know why I freak out. So anyway, it is the breathing. If you want the, the shortcut to the, to the meditation benefit of lowering your heart rate, it's the breathing. Breathe in once and then twice as long breathing out. I was doing yoga before my knee surgery, and I need to get back to it. Uh, and I learned that breathing in yoga. And, and so what did you think of yoga? Because you're not, you're not someone who's practiced yoga over the course of your lifetime. This was new no, to you. I was 75 when I started yoga. Well, there yoga. you go. See, it's never too, never too late to start I liked something. It. Did you it like was, it? It was uh, Alamo City Yoga. Uh, and, and they have a class for newbies, which is not terribly stretching pressure to do all kinds of things. It's more the relaxation and breathing. Well, and, and our local um, science museum in the summertime does yoga out on a deck outside, you know, above the San Antonio River. So then you can feel like you're in one of those ads like in California oh, cool. or something like that where you've got the water in the trees. And that's kind of a fun place to start yoga. And a giant fan blowing on and you. A giant, yes, <laughs> and a mister because you need all of those in, <laughs> exactly. here in Texas in the summertime. All right, we covered breathing into the nose, out through the mouth. Double the exhale versus the inhale. And if uh, uh, you were wondering about it, there are apps that can help you do that, help you time that. Oh, yeah. You, all you have to do is just search for, you can have, there are meditation apps, there are breathing apps, there's lots of stuff online. Which led me to ask you, how is new tech benefiting caregiving? All right. So this is where you can like wind me up. You did a lot up, of research wind here. Wind me up. Um, that the technology, our guest last week, Sherry Snelling, mentioned the changes in technology that are impacting the caregiving space. And so I went out and did some research on it um, and looked at how fast artificial intelligence and virtual reality, because she mentioned virtual reality specifically, you know, what that's doing. And so if you don't know what artificial intelligence is, that's where the computer, think war games, learns by, you know, different challenges it learns, and the next time it does better. That's how, you know, a computer beat the masters at chess, because every chess game it learned and learned and learned until it could, you know, beat people at playing chess. So that's artificial intelligence. War Games is a fabulous movie, and your son Benjamin does Hal, the computer, better than Hal in the movie, <laughs> well, which that, is pretty scary. He does have a very good Hal voice. He I, does. I will give you that. So virtual reality, those are those goggles that, or the holodeck, think holodeck and Star Trek, um, where you see a different reality. So there were several different of these um, examples of AI and virtual reality that I looked at, and it was fascinating. So you have to go to these websites just to check out what's coming down the line. I mean, not necessarily to buy it. And I don't even know if I'm going to even say this one right. Ren, Rendever, Ren, Rendever, there we go, know. Rendever, which is, um, it's actually a virtual reality, and you go to the site, um, and they're giving residents in assisted living and nursing home, these virtual reality goggles, right? And so there's different ways that they're using them. One is, like, you could have a video of the house that they lived in. Oh, that's cool. When you're growing up and put it on this virtual reality 3D, and now they're back at home. 
they're walking in their yard where they all want to be in the house where they want to be or now picture this fast forward you're in a senior center today we're going to hike machu picchu we're going to south america we're hiking machu picchu you put on your virtual reality goggles and all of us at the senior center are now hiking up the trail via virtual reality how cool is that that's very cool i thought that was like amazing so that's kind of fun to think about then there's another one called eliq e-l-l-i-q and this one i had just seen at a an aging conference, I hate to say it, they were making fun of it because LQ is one of those things like Google Home where it tells you what you're supposed to be doing, right? It's monitoring everything. So it can tell you it's time to take your meds. It's time to take a walk. And, you know, lunch is you should have vegetables at lunch. And tell us who our guest is on the show, and I will tell you more about LQ. We're coming up in just a couple of moments. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how it is to be a caregiver who has lost many, many close relatives in a short period of time. How she turned her life around because of that. Esther Pippoli Cardenas will be our guest. Thank you. So, so we're looking forward to talking to Esther. But our last guest was talking about technology, and so we're talking about this, you know, home device that tells you it prompts you all the things that you need to be doing, and it lives in your home. So the video I saw at the aging conference was of an older gentleman whose son had bought him this device, and it's saying you need to eat healthy. And the first day you see him with the vegetables. It's time to get out to take a walk. So he goes out and he takes a walk. It's time to take your meds. He's taking his meds, and as the Video goes on day after day after day. Pretty soon you find him paying the neighbor boy to take the monitoring device out for a walk. You see him with the vegetables in front of a camera, and then he's eating like enchiladas on the side. I love <laughs> and it. And so the whole thing is showing how he's working around this device that's supposed to be helping him live better um, in his home. So well, I thought that was pretty funny. A physician I know uh, prescribed a, a pedometer for one of his patients. Uh, and she came back with incredible steps. Really crazy results. And it turned out she had put it on her dog. Oh, and let the dog run around. Yeah. Well, and then the last one that I'll talk about, uh, well, there's actually two. Briefly, WeGate is fascinating because it's a motion detector in the house that tracks the way your walking speed and your gait. And what that will tell you is if it's changing, and that can be one of the earliest indicators of cognition problems or a fall that's to come. Uh, and your regular Fitbits, those the things that we normally wear, cannot measure they don't know. the speed, and they and they can't do it inside. And so this is a highly scientific device. But how cool would that be uh, to be monitoring that? And then the last one is called Area. And it's, it's a pair of goggles you put on that have headsets. It's for people with vision loss or low vision. And it connects them with a trained interpreter who's looking at what you're looking at through your lenses and telling you what to do. So it's watching the PowerPoint at work. It's helping you cross the street. So it's a, like a personal concierge that's talking to you through this these goggles and headset. That's pretty cool. So it kind of replaces the old seeing eye dog. You actually get a person who's going with you on your trip. Wow, and you don't have to walk them. And you, and you don't have and you don't have to walk them, and they can actually speak any language depending on who's trained. And there's got to be a cost to that. Well, all of these have a cost. None of these you're going to find. You know, one of them says, "Join our wait list today." So this is emerging technology, but think about its application. It's pretty cool. Now I want to pick up on something we promised last week. How in the world can lifestyle changes remove plaque? 
Well, you know, we think about plaque building up in our bloodstream over our lives, and does it ever go away? And we kind of were led to believe, no, it never goes away. It can lead to heart attacks. And it can lead to heart attack. It can break off. Well, it turns out that's not really true because they studied people who are malnourished. And the plaque had gone away, had been resorbed um, back and had gone down, gone away. So they did an, uh, an analysis back in the 80s up to the present, and they found out that you can indeed, by changing your diet, um, it, it has to be really strict, whole food, vegetarian, no fat, um, no more than fat. 10% of your calories come from fat. If you combine exercise, this diet, and in you know difficult cases, medications, you can get rid of the plaque that's built up. Save your life. Save your life. So the answer is yes. You can can tr- take control of that plaque building up in your arteries, and in your carotid artery, and all those bad things, and change it. We're going to talk in just a minute to Esther Pippoli Cardenas about Lola, loss of life advocates. Also, the name of my German Shepherd, Lola. No relationship, however, to her nonprofit. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. When we promise, we deliver right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. We've been promising Esther Pippoli would be joining us, and she is here in our well in our studios here on uh, 9.30 a.m. The Answer on Caregiver SOS On Air. Nice to see you. Thank you. Come on in. This is Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up forming uh, Lola, an organization dealing with loss. Well, uh, in 2014, I lost both my husband and my father 63 days apart, and nobody really plans for anything like that to happen. However, um, my father was extremely prepared, and he was the former president of AARP here for the state of Texas. So he had everything checked, the boxes all checked, and all of his affairs in order. And then uh, my husband, the day we buried him, who was an avid swimmer, was swimming up every day at lifetime at 530 in the morning, super conscientious about what he ate um said I don't feel good when we buried my dad and I said what do you mean you don't feel good and he said I just don't feel good he was diagnosed with cancer about 10 days later and passed away 50 days later so I lost both of them really quick my dad being so prepared was awesome because I just had to turn all my attention to my my husband and trying to save his life and be on the hope train 
But when you're on the hope train and somebody is unfortunately passing away, uh, there's a lot of things that go into shutting down somebody's life and all the questions, and you cannot start talking to them at that point because they don't want to talk about the end of their life. They don't. All they're looking at is everything they're going to be leaving behind. So my husband passed away, and he was a trial lawyer just right up the street at 281 in Bitters and had a great practice, and I was forced with never having – I didn't know anything about his business, so I had to shut down his life, and that's just more than just grieving your loss of your loved one. And, of course, for me, it was the double loss of my father and him that I realized I knew nothing about his business, his business accounts. Uh, I, we were moving up to Denver, Colorado, so I was had a job, and I was in Denver, and I was living in an apartment, and when he went to go get treatment for cancer in Tijuana, Mexico, I moved our home from here up to Denver so that he could come back and recuperate, but unfortunately, he came back to Denver, and a real good friend of ours flew up and brought Carl home to San Antonio so he could um, pass away here, which he did. And I was faced with just shutting down his life, and it was horrific because I knew nobody to go to, and nobody was holding the light for me. How in the world did you deal with all that? You're relatively young. Mm-hmm. You're faced with enormous loss, something you hadn't anticipated. Your father, well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, dads are going to die, but not your husband. Right. And my, you know, my husband, I met him when I was 20, and he was 40, so we had the 20-year age gap. However, I mean, I knew at some point there was going to be a point when he would no longer be here with me. I did not expect to be a widow at 46, and I did not – I thought I knew a lot about everything, you know, enough, because when you raise kids, you're like, okay, I think I've learned that now. But really when um, he passed away, it was overwhelmingly like I never had a heartbreak that hard. And I learned really quick that nobody was in my corner. I had, I really, I had a lot of people that loved me, I had a lot of people that supported me, but I did not have – anybody in my corner that I could go to and say, what do I do about this? And I just visited with Judge Rickoff recently, and he said, you know, we do a lot of stuff in probate. And I said, yeah, but where were you when my husband's office needed to be cleaned out? Where were you when I had to clean out my home of 26 years? Where were you when I had to make a decision about who's going to take care of our pets? You know, I had lots of stuff to go through. And people's lives, you collect everything. You know, go home and look at your stuff tonight and go, oh, my gosh, if I dropped, dad would – who would who would clean this out for me? Who would guide my family? And so that really started the whole idea about, around loss of life advocates, which is named after my mother, Lola. And uh, I, it was hard. It was the grief was hard. Well, the thing I love about your story because it is so depressing mm-hmm. is that you made a positive out of it. You looked at it and you figured out a way not only to put a neat organization together, mm-hmm. but to put your life back on track. Right. And that was the big part of it is to be able to give people a sign of hope. And I hope to be that person, that consultant for them, that coach for them, that that guiding light. I like to say that I hold the flashlight for people in the darkest time. And sometimes, you know, your friends and family are there for you. But sometimes you just need to talk to somebody that's not part of the family to say, what do I do about these bank accounts? Or what do I do about this? Or my husband left me with nothing. How do I get back on my feet? Now, what were you doing uh, before this because you said you'd just taken a job in Denver. I worked for, uh, I've, been, I've really been blessed. I, have, I worked in insurance for 20 plus years as an account manager. So I dealt with brokers that would go out and sell for group benefits, and then I would manage the relationship side of the accounts. And I was working for a really fantastic company in downtown Denver and Union Station. I was part of a great team, and that experience in itself was another loss for me because I had to leave. I could not cope with working. I found myself literally on the floor of the bathroom um, and at my at my job because I just couldn't I couldn't function well I, you know I think it's so important that you're talking about how difficult 
the stuff is and the decision making. I can remember, you know, my grandfather passed away first, and then when my grandmother passed away, and there was the whole house, and all I could think of was, I don't want the stuff. I just want my grandparents back. Mm -hmm. um, and then to have it be your husband and your own life, where you're making these decisions, and you know, family members, you know, have all of these emotional attachments, and they're bringing it for you, and you mm -hmm. just need to make decisions. And so I can see where there's a lot of conflict and, and having somebody else to help you with that would be a tremendous relief. Right. I was uh, walking through the courthouse uh, a couple of weeks ago and meeting the judges and telling them about what I do. And, you know, you knew my husband. He was on the trial side. So meeting them. What was and his name? Carl Pippoli. And, uh, and one of the judges looked at me and she said, you know, my mom, we just put her in a nursing home. I need help getting her stuff organized and out and I said two questions you know I'm happy to help you but do you want to sell the stuff to make money to help pay for mom's you know stay in the nursing home or do you want to donate it you know do you want to look at it go in and stick what you want put sticky notes on it and take it out and then we'll go in and we will bring professionals in that do this for a living so I'm just the guide I literally you know have resources out there so I, I don't personally do any of the work I guide them and the families to these resources and once they realize oh you mean there's somebody there that can actually help me box this stuff up I don't have to be there for it. Oh yeah, the estate management folks that will come in and, and exactly. you pull out all the personal stuff and then they come in and they price everything and they take and care they of hold it. the sale and then you ground up everything that's left and decide what you want to do with that. Right. It's, it's yeah, it's a wonderful service. Yeah, that's what we try to do is be that resource for people so that whether it's I need a lawyer. So in my case, you know, my husband's life insurance was declined and I needed to find lawyers and I just I suffered through the curse of knowledge, as my, my kids tell me. I knew too much about some things. So I, it took me a while to find the right lawyers. And once I found them, then I was like, okay, you know, I can, I can function because I have the right people helping Why me. Why did they decline his life insurance? Unfortunately, my husband was self-employed, and so he lapsed it. He lapsed a payment. And, um, he while died. he was sick? Well, well no, he, well, we don't know. You, you know, don't know. Okay, I don't so know. That's an unknown. And that was the, the, the million-dollar question because it really was like, you know, did he know he was sick? And for me, I was in Denver for the last year of his life. I was flying back and forth from San Antonio to Denver. So I was, I had my eye on the prize of my father. I did not have my eye on the prize of my husband. I had thought he's healthy, he's well. It really wasn't until we buried my dad and he said, I don't feel good that I thought, this is weird. So when they um, did the research, they sent an investigator over to my home after he passed away. They interviewed me and they came back and they did their research. They did their due diligence, but they went back to his medical records back to like 1988. And, you know, this is 2014. So they did all their research. They came back and said, you know what, based on his medical history, chances are he may have known about this. Or So it came down to that, the questionnaire. So it's really careful when people, when you're filling out a life insurance application, you need to be as truthful and honest as possible. I did not know if my husband knew anything. I don't think he did because he was so healthy. You know, all the indications that I knew of him and his behavior of 26 years of marriage was the man who got up every morning and swam at Lifetime at 5.30 in the morning. Right. He He's the bumper sticker. Yeah, exactly. I ate right. I swam every day. Life mm -hmm. was great, but I died anyhow. Right. And I tell people, you know what? If anything, I wish he would have eaten a, little, a few more hamburgers because <laughs> he literally, at the end, when people are so lean and they don't have any body fat on oh, them. Oh, yeah. It's they really go, tough. They go quicker because they have nothing to fight. Right. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And we're talking with Esther Pippoli, who also goes by Esther Cardenas. I was kidding her earlier. Her bio reads like an FBI-wanted bulletin because <laughs> it says she's known by many names. <laughs> 
And there's a story there. Yes. So after Carl died, um, I had a lot of people coming after me. He was a Pippoli and you were a Cardinus. I was a Cardinus. And um, I, I'm one of those girls that loves their dad. Oh, my gosh. My dad was my best friend. Um, my husband was my playmate and best friend, but my dad was my best friend and economic advisor. And your dad's name was? Gus Cardenas. Because I, I had met your father oh, in my wow. work. You said AARP, and I, I stopped, and I went, I remember Gus oh, Cardenas. I get tingles when I think of yes, that. Yes, so. I do remember him. Uh, so, yeah, so, my, so my, my dad passes away, my husband passes away. We're shutting down the business, and people come out like flies looking for you. And I had people looking for me because they were like, hey, your husband owed money or your husband this, all the creditors. And so I literally just said, I'm going to go back to Cardinus because I don't have any answers. I didn't have any money, and I didn't have any answers. And I had a really good CPA here in San Antonio that said, you know what? What you need to do is um, just go through probate and send everybody through probate. So he gave me some really good advice on that. But that's why I went through Cardinus for a long time, and now people are like, oh, you're back to Pippoli. And I'm like, eh. Yeah, <laughs> a woman can, so a you're woman a can do what Cardinus. she wants. <laughs> or a Cardinus Pippoli. Or Cardinus Pippoli. But do you have children too? I do. I have a son that's 33 years old, and he helps me with the business. And then I have a daughter who is uh, 28 years old. She's a yoga instructor in Denver. And uh, I have a grandson that's seven months old, and his name is Noah Jude. And just the, I now know what it feels like when um, you look at your kids and go, just get out of the way. <laughs> I'm done with you. I'm on <laughs> yeah, to the grandchild. Right. Yeah, grandbaby. <laughs> oh, he's adorable. Now, how did your kids take the loss of your dad and then their dad? Well, you know, they um, they both reacted differently. Because they were adults. Yeah, they both reacted differently. My son definitely stepped into that role of helping shut down stuff and being that um, personal guidance person for me. But he was still sad about not having his father and his, his grandfather. And then he had um, my daughter. She literally, when she moved back to Denver last November, she said, I'm finally grieving. It, for whatever reason, she associated with Denver and her dad in the mountains. Wow. That she said, I'm finally putting some peace around this. So Stay with us. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel and Caregiver SOS on air, talking with Esther Pippoli. We're going to find out about Lola and find out what she learned about trying to manage all the various moving parts. And we're going to talk, too, about Final Acts, a wonderful organization that uh, we're very familiar with who do an incredible job helping all of us make those right decisions beforehand. We're glad you're with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our special guest, Esther Pippoli, and Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here as well. Uh, in the wake of uh, what was enormous emotional and psychological tragedy, losing her dad, short time later losing her husband, Esther Pippoli did what everybody ought to do, got her life back together mm-hmm. and formed an organization called LOLA, named after your mother. Right. Mm-hmm. And it stands for? Loss of Life Advocates. And what do you all do? Well, we help families before, during, and after a loss. And, um, you know, I'm getting a few of everything right now when people say, what do you what do you actually what are you getting more of? Uh, But, you know, the individuals preparing that are hearing about this and saying they don't want to leave their families with all the minutia that has to go around the the shutting down of somebody's life. So they're really wanting to put some stuff together. And we've created a a 10 hour package and some families blow through it in five. uh, But they put their information together in a notebook. We scan it to a USB and then they're able to say, I've got everything done. 
Uh, USB would be a flash drive. A flash drive, yeah. And then we have people that come to us at time of loss where we get referrals from hospice workers or home health care people that identify a family in, in crisis and need help. So I'm able to get them kind of to pro- pro- professional resources to help them at that time. And then after a loss, I'm working with widows on uh, understanding what probate is and what an executor's uh, duties are and helping them kind of close down their spouse's life. Um, and then the kind of the exciting one that I'm really excited about is that uh, having been an employer benefits, I've created Lola around an employer benefit where an employer can put this as a benefit for uh, their employees. So not an insurance benefit, but a value add benefit to make their place really a, a good place to work. Because when the employer is helping a, a family member of their workforce um, identify how to get somebody out and get the team prepared to take over the workload and then get that person brought back in, um, it saves them time and money because a lot of people will come back to work too soon. Uh, bereavement's usually only three days, and then yes. they come back, and they make 70% errors, and then the employer's firing them because they can't function. So we kind of try to work with the employers and their HR supervisors to um, educate them on the processes, work with the employees to do workshops to bring in how to prepare them on their information so that it's all set in case something happens to them. Um, and then I give them a little guidance hour so that it kind of complements EAP. You know, you have your employee assistance programs, but then after a certain point, that drops off. You know, they're only free amount of everything for a little bit. Yeah, uh, 20 minutes of counseling. Exactly. And then you have to find somebody, and then you're, everybody's got a high deductible health plan, and they're thrown into now I have to, you know, you've done your five visits. Now you have to pay for me, and I'm $120 an hour. People stop getting help. And grief is, there's not a timetable on grief. So we kind of come in and try to help the HR person to say, look, give them EAP, give them our card. We can help them to prevent them from having absenteeism and presenteeism and get them on the road back to, um, you know, being healthy again. Right. So, those, pe- those people that come back to work, they're not ready to work. I mean, you were talking about making mistakes, but even if they don't mis- make mistakes, they're still, you know, they're not as productive. Mm-hmm. Their minds are always someplace else. You're always worried. I mean, it really is a, the, the checklist of everything else I still need to do. You right. can't get that done in three days because you, all you did was plan the funeral. Right. Or in my case, you know, I lost my husband's income. Uh, he has just started taking Social Security, which was kind of exciting because if you're married to a self-employed person, <laughs> you never have a paycheck. So he's just started getting Social Security, and the funeral director here at one of the funeral homes said, oh, you're 46. Yeah, you get a $255 death benefit. You have to wait till you're 60 to actually start drawing from his Social Security. And I thought, oh, my God. So I really went back to being kind of an independent single woman again with my own salary. And um, it was really scary. And it still is to this day. It's <laughs> still scary. You said we at Lola. Uh, are there folks working there? Yeah. So I've been really lucky that I have a lot of people that have um, been working in the insurance industry for a number of years that are all 1099 employees that, believe it or not, want to just do this as a consultant. Uh, they want to come in. They want to help in different ways. So I have some people that say, I really don't want to deal with the people up front. I really, I'll help them with cleaning out the house. I'll help them with, ta- you know, helping them with their business stuff, you know. But uh, then I have other people that are, that are grief consultants that, you know, I want to help these family members through getting some grief counseling and going through a process through the grief recovery method. Uh, so I have a lot of you know people that are kind of in the wings that support me. And again, for what I do, I'm able to handle it. My son, a few close friends. I've got a bilingual rep that works with me and handles the internationals that come in that want to do this because, of course, they've got homes on two sides of, of the border. Uh, I want to say wall, but about border. <laughs> so I've gotten so used to hearing about it, you know. Yeah, there's but, no wall yeah, yet. There's no wall yeah, yet. Yeah, we're still, but, uh, yeah. still not so, there. So they've got houses on both sides of, of, of our countries and um, so helping them. So I've, I'm really lucky that people, this has resonated. And one of the things that is real important to me is I don't bring anybody in unless they've had a loss. 
So I'm not just bringing anybody in that's like, I haven't experienced a loss because I'm not going to have them working or talking with people that have not had a loss themselves to be able to have that compassion. So do you find that there are people that really need like professional counseling services? Do you have examples of folks that you need to connect them with a therapist? Yeah. So um, I got certified in January through the grief recovery method and people ask me, you know, oh, so do you um, support people in that? And the reason I got certified was so that I would know what to say and what not to say. And as I'm talking to widows and widowers and people that call in that have had a loss, I'm able to identify where they're at in the process and then decide whether they belong in a group, which might help them. Um, and usually, you know, those group groups can call, you know, can be eight to 12 weeks long. So they start to kind of connect with other people that are going through the same amount of grief. Um, or if they are seriously in a state of depression, which is what I was in for a long time, I get them through some counselors here in San Antonio or wherever their area is, and we go through the professional association, so whether it's the Bar Association for Attorneys or Professional Association for Finding the Right Psychologist or Psychiatrist to get them to get them um, to the right people. Sounds very comprehensive. You know, Porter Loring, mm -hmm. the uh, funeral service, uh, offers free grief counseling, and you do not have to have used their services. Correct, correct. And I've actually visited with um, Helen Loring Deer, and she's a beautiful woman. Um, and we talk, we've had really good conversations, so I'm able to circle back through to some of those families that want to go in and, and participate in her programs. And they have group counseling, exactly. which can be very helpful. Yeah, it's wonderful. What did you learn about yourself? Because if I were to ask you if we could go back in time before your dad, before your husband, is this something you would have ever thought you'd be doing? Uh, no. I, I really never thought that I would be in this field. Um, I will say that, you know, one of the things that I learned about myself was that I am a fighter. I never considered myself a fighter. You're <laughs> always, obviously resilient. Yeah, so it was. Um, I've learned a lot looking back on it that, you know, you really only have yourself to depend on in, in the darkest of times. Um, and if you're really lucky and you can have somebody to support you and help you during this time frame, um, I would say that just looking back on it, it, it was I don't never thought that I would ever be a widow. It, um, I just turned 50 last week. And well, I you never said thought. something very interesting that there wasn't anybody there for you. After my dad passed away, I remember my mom saying, nobody calls anymore. Nobody comes by anymore. They had a lot of friends, very social, but nobody came by. And that's one of the things that can get you really depressed. Uh, and I've met several friends that have gone through, there are other widows that have gone through that. And what was really important for me was I had to learn all new hobbies because everything was around my husband. He was a sailor. He liked to go to Lifetime. He liked to drink good wines. He liked to ski. And at the, at the age of 46, I was like, well, really 48 when I finally kind of came up for air. Um, what, what was it that made me happy and get up in the morning? So I created gardens. I have, you know, five different gardens. I go out in my backyard. I garden for myself. Cool. Um, and I, I, just, I exercise and try to take care of myself. But you really do have to reinvent yourself. And the hardest part is to get somebody that's so in-depth in grief to realize you need to get out and start doing things that are new and different. So joining a club and having that one friend that can walk you off the ledge, which I have a really great friend, Allison DePauli, here in San Antonio. And she literally, when I moved back here, um, was like, you're going to get out of the house. And she would call me and invite me to everything. And she'd say, do you need a ride? <laughs> do you need do you need me to come get you and I'd say no I'll be there and then she would call me and make sure that I wasn't going to chicken out because I would literally accept an invite and then say how do I get out of this the minute after 
So I'm really grateful that there were some people that I, I call them my, my, I was on the ledge ready to jump. And, and um, you're right, it gets really lonely. Now, how do folks pay for your service? So I am an hourly consultant. So I do pay for time of loss. I have an hourly rate of 120 an hour. And then um, for preparing your, um, your future for your family, I have a 150 an hour rate. The employer rates are a little different because it is an employee uh, pay, employee or employer paid benefits. So it's structured a little bit differently based on payrolls. Um, but for the employer out there that wants to engage our services, we, we have a package pricing for them to include the webinar, the workshops, and then the guidance for their employees. And Final Acts is part of what you're involved in as Actually, well. Actually, yeah. I'm the, I was really lucky. I'm the chairwoman of the Final Acts Project. And Deborah Karcher, who's one of my favorite people in the Deborah whole Deborah walks on water. She I does. Love oh, my gosh. I love her to death. And she is a lightning bolt going a million miles an hour. But she has this just amazing um, vision that she just keeps up for all of us. And I'm really lucky to be associated with them. We are, I love the arts. I love the arts. So now, play. For you folks to talk who about it. Talk about what it is. Yeah, what's the focus? So the nonprofit focuses on people that are in the liberal arts or arts type um, areas that are artists and poetry. And it's also bringing in the medical profession, people that maybe are doctors and um, different professionals that deal with the end of life. And what they want you to do is really talk about um, having the conversation. Uh, there's a great Dr. Jessica Zitter out from San Diego that Deborah does a lot of work with, and we brought her in last year to speak about what she sees from the emergency room perspective. So the final act drives a lot of conversations um, in positive ways so that people see it and through theater and through video and through movies and through Netflix documentaries like Dr. Zitter's um, that show and talk about this is what families face if you don't prepare yourself. And the idea is you need mm -hmm. to be prepared. Exactly. So having your advanced directives and having that conversation. So we just had a bucket list party for my 50th birthday, and I asked people, in the next five years, what do you want to do? So we're really trying to drive a positive conversation and a positive spin around it because nobody really wants to talk about death and dying. I walk in the room and everybody goes, uh-oh, she's here. <laughs> you know, but uh, I am that person that's saying, you know, don't, don't not do yeah, it. Don't, don't delay. Don't delay. Yeah, exactly. So the final acts was really a fun type of nonprofit that come, brings a lot of different brilliant minds and theater and artists together to really drive that conversation. And if folks want to know more about Lola? Uh, they can call at 210-802-2224. You get or to do that twice on the radio. 802. Uh, so 210-802-2224. Or they can look us up at lossoflifeadvocates.com. And there is through a contact me. They can schedule an appointment for a free 30-minute consultation. And um, a lot of times I just talk to people. They just want to talk. So I'm here to help them um, what, with whatever I can. This is fulfilling for you. It is. It's, it's a light for me now. And as you think about where it goes what's the next step the next vision well you know obviously growing lola would be great so that there are other people in other cities um, that are helping with this footprint because i think that it's something that there's a lot of um, the industry is growing with baby boomers and our, our parents are getting elderly and they're passing away that i'd like to see this be in almost every city to where there's an advocate type of um, service so that lola can be to help people in different places or across the country well, it's amazing what you've done. Well, thank you. And obviously, uh, your head is now square on your shoulders. It feels like it. I mean, there's some mornings I wake up and I'm like, oh, maybe I should run back and go back to account management. You get a little scared, you know, but uh, it's it's very rewarding when you're helping families. Before we go, time. what's your grandbaby's name? Noah Jude. And for those uh, who don't know, tell us about being a grandmother. 
I think that being a grandmother is like telling your kids to get out of the way. <laughs> your time is up. <laughs> and you and Noah hang out. Yeah, we do. We have a great, um, he's just beautiful. Like uh, that really was um, one of the greatest gifts that God sent to me. And, you know, when you start going through such a dark period of time and you've gone through so much darkness and then a baby comes in, you literally become lit up. You're like, oh, fresh, new. You know, the other two are adults. You know, it's kind of like I looked at them and I'm like, a little bit of damaged goods maybe sometimes. You know, <laughs> like I can't go back and fix you. Um, but with a baby, you cool. can just have fun. Hey, thank you so much for thank coming Thank you for in. having me. I appreciate we it. We appreciate it. It's a heck of a story. Thank you. We appreciate you uh, starting Lola. Well, I'm here for anybody who needs help. Up next on uh, Caregiver SOS On Air, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We are so pleased you were with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of every program, we jump to a segment we call Take 10. It features Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist and expert in addictions and caregiving. Our co-host Carol Zerniel is here, and I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, you have a topic that when you first threw it out off air to Jamie, it sounds more like combat post-military, PTSD. Well, you know, I recently ran into a family that did have someone in the military that deployed uh, and but it was for a short period of time when they came back they did have PTSD it, which made me think about the impact of trauma and you know, uh, you know we, we've talked to caregivers who've been caregivers for years or family members that have been battling diseases for years um, you can have a single event so I'm just wondering about the nature of um, like PTSD, people that suffer after effects from really bad things that happen or things that happen. I don't know. Maybe it's not really bad. Can you talk a little bit about PTSD and what it is and, and you know, do we is everything PTSD that I've just been describing? This is a great topic, Carol. I'm glad you, you actually got this one because, interesting enough, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, it's 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 pretty pandemic, if you will, throughout our population, not simply just caregivers, because trauma, which is any sort of episodic event that either occurs to you or you can witness, if you will, like a life-threatening event, um, really happens from childhood on, and is often untreated and is often repressed, and people develop symptoms from post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and they may not even know it's that, because it all depends upon the intensity of the trauma and how close you are to the trauma. 
Um, and the, the fact is how you were before the trauma. If you had two feet on the ground taking care of yourself, good self-esteem, usually you'll come out of the traumatic period in that fashion. But if you weren't taking care of yourself, trauma can debilitate and can um, paralyze. So let me see if I can find an example from childhood. Um, you know, I'll, I'll use my own family. My, you know, my mother was sick off and on when I was a kid. And so we, my sister and I would go for fairly long periods where she wasn't really engaged with us. You know, we were safe. We had food. We had, you know, the things we needed. But she wasn't really emotionally engaged with us because she wasn't well. You know, is that something that, you know, may have left a little stamp on us, whether we knew it or not? Because my sister and I can tell you, don't think we have a little mark. Well, it also depends upon the age. What was it, what, how old were you? What was very young. Very, we're talking very young. Like so under five. Young, okay, it could be a trauma. Again, this is things that the wonder of therapy can help, like peel the onion to find out if it's trauma, because there's definite interventions for trauma. But also, some of the things that you described could also kind of weigh into our personalities and not be trauma. Um, and later on, you know, that feeling of being, let's say, detached or you know, I hate to use it, but the word abandoned sometimes from a significant other can create personality traits later on. And that's what therapy is all about because it's also treatable. And it's, it's something that, that we can actually go within and come out on the bright side. Well, I'm going to go with personality because my husband's noticed I can go all the way from Texas to Wisconsin and not say a word. <laughs> that I'm perfectly content to just sit. I'm someone I can sit for very long periods of time doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because, you know, as a psychologist, um, I can actually treat trauma. There's several ways of doing it. But I did also experience, uh, I'm sure, traumatic events as a child. And so I actually am just like that, too. I kind of repress and I try to manage things around me. And uh, my therapist says, you know, I'm not open with the with the events that happened in childhood like you just were well so if you're if you're a caregiver or you're a, you know mm -hmm. a family member of someone who seems to have ptsd and you're thinking why do they have ptsd you know they they weren't gone that long or it didn't seem that traumatic to me i mean that doesn't matter does it it's really about the person it does not matter and i think we should also delineate something which is important because caregivers also suffer from another traumatic experience which is called compassion fatigue and the difference between post-traumatic stress disorder where it's an external trauma either we're involved with or life-threatening event or we're actually we're observing compassion fatigue is from within it's kind of trauma that we've never resolved in ourselves so when a caregiver becomes very burnt out they can also exhibit symptoms of ptsd but instead of being an external trauma it's actually coming from within as an internal trauma. That's the difference between compassion fatigue and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. Carol Zorniel, our co-host, is here as well. And I'm wondering, for a child, can PTSD be triggered by one event? I'm one of those kids who grew up in the Norman Rockwell world of Everything was great. The cereal was always crisp. The milk was fresh. The the table was set. The strawberries were cut perfectly. God, I hope you had ruffled curtains. Otherwise, I'm going to be we did. sorely disappointed. We, we and I thought we I thought we were brothers from another mother, but that uh, was exactly the opposite. Oh no! Everything was just perfect, except that one night when the phone rang, 
in the middle of the night in a house where there was one phone, because why would you need more? And if the phone rang in the middle of the night, it was never good. And my dad's drugstore was burning down. I remember it like it's happening right now. And that is indelible, and that is untreated, or should I say maybe you have not gotten in touch with some of the interventions that can deal with trauma. That is exactly a trauma. That is dead on. In fact, we don't even remember, Ron and Carol, you know, much memories before what, three years old, four years old? Yet trauma can be occurring at childbirth to four years old, and we don't even know, but it gets repressed. And also, by the way, just so you know, uh, theories and data have backed up the fact that trauma, if left untreated, can become intergenerational, which means you kind of hand the symptoms down. For instance, my father is a Holocaust survivor, and he never sought out therapy, and what he did was basically pass a lot of the traumatic symptoms and events down to my sister and myself. So what does that look like when you say passed it down? What does that mean? Well, it's kind of a, it's, it's dysfunction. It really is. It's, it's about codependency where, okay. let's say, our behavior evolves and revolves around either a person who's ill or a person who has trauma, um, and it's not quite authentic. And what we develop is behaviors to be able to manage that person. And then we develop roles in codependency, like the hero, the scapegoat, the mascot. But we're not acting in an authentic way. We're instead kind of responding to untreated trauma in our father or our mother, or like Ron says, even in something that he may have witnessed and and was a part of, but can't explain today. Right. So what would you say to the people who say, oh, that's hocus pocus, that's, you know, childhood drama, flee, flee, flee. What would you say to those people? I'm a huge believer that almost every behavioral health challenge, from addictions to psychiatric issues of depression and bipolar, um, has some undercurrent, underpinning, of trauma. I just can't imagine a lifetime at all without some episodic two by four hitting us at a time when we least suspect it and us not necessarily getting help for it. So I think that trauma is huge and our society is looking for ways to obviously treat it. My nephew came back also from Iraq, just like your family member, uh, uh, Carol, and he was there for a short period of time and he still suffers from PTSD. But it doesn't have to be wartime. It truly doesn't. We see it happening in our lifetimes, just the way Ron described it. So what I'm hearing you say, the bottom line of all this PTSD discussion is, you know, really to kind of get in touch with, if you see someone that seems to have PTSD, or if you have this, you know, anxiety and dysfunction in your life, that, you know, working on it really might help. Absolutely, because what happens is you're going to start drinking, you're going to start medicating it, you're going to look to harm yourself sometimes or others. These are all symptoms of, of trauma, untreated. Uh, you'll pull away from people. you become isolated. I mean, this all seems to mirror what we discuss sometimes with caregiver burnout that then progresses to compassion fatigue. Those symptoms are so similar. But we as therapists really have ways to deal with the trauma. So hope springs eternal. If you do feel you have any of these symptoms, please, please call a trauma-trained therapist. I like that. I'll get a phone number for my wife. <laughs> there you go. For caregiving. That is a trauma. Caregiving counseling. Being married to you. Yeah. She said the other day she's discovered she has no compassion. <laughs> no big deal. Hey, thanks for joining oh, us on this. Dr. Jamie, this was great. Why don't we do it again next week? Love to. Love to. Take 10 right here on Caregiver SOS on Air with Carol Zernell and Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you soon. 
You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there.